Welcome to Grace New Hope and the teaching ministry of Pastor Randy Rainwater. Today, we have a special guest, Dr. Victor Hamilton. Please turn in your Bibles to Romans 16 as we continue on in our series, Revival. Let's listen now. Well, it is uh, great to be back again and especially be with Randy and Anita, uh, whom's friendship we have uh, cherished over the years. Uh, when, I, uh, when I was here, what would it be, about three years ago, uh, I, I told a little story that uh, you will not remember if you were here, and if you weren't here, you'll be hearing it for the first time. I told about a student who was the contrast of Randy. Randy was a student who just started slow, but once he took off, he took off. I contrasted that with a student whom I shall call Bill, who was taking his final exam of the fall semester. Uh, more interested in getting home for Thanksgiving and Christmas than he was in the final exam. Uh, there were four essay questions. They had two hours to write, half an hour on each question. And I knew it would take them two hours. One hour into the exam, Bill turned his exam in and left. And I knew Bill was no genius. So when I looked at his exam, uh, I found out he'd answered only two questions, supposed to answer four. And then he wrote this interesting, he said, Dear Professor Hamilton, I do not know the answer to these last two questions, but God does, Merry Christmas. <laughs> Well, I could not let that go. I made sure Bill got his exam back when he came to campus back in January. And next to his comment, I wrote this. Dear Bill, God gets an A, you get an F. Happy New Year. Well, it's great for Shirley and myself to be back again, and I want to congratulate you on uh, spending uh, these last few Sundays, as Randy has led you in a preaching series uh, on the book of Romans. Uh, I, I would prefer to preach from Leviticus, <laughs> but since you're going that way, I think it was two weeks ago, three weeks ago, I was uh, preaching, no, I was teaching in a local church back home. Uh, I was asked to teach on the subject, how does the Old Testament uh, prepare for the New Testament? And somewhere along the line, it was mentioned that I, I had a, a lifelong interest, almost a lifelong interest in the book of Leviticus. And a young lady off to my left raised her hand and said, uh, why are you so interested in Leviticus? And my first response is, because nobody else is. <laughs> uh, or not very many people, but 
Today we are on the book of Romans, and the reason I commend you uh, for studying the book of Romans is, is simply because uh, I cannot think of any other book in Scripture that has cast such a wide shadow uh, over the last 2,000 years. No book in Scripture other than the book of Romans. I can think, for example, of three extremely important individuals from the past whose writings centuries and centuries after they have passed are still read, whose lives were deeply influenced by the book of Romans. Uh, the first would be a guy by the name of Augustine or Augustine way back in the late 300s into the early 400s B.C., A.D. The second would be Martin Luther in the 1400s and the Protestant Reformation. And a little closer to my own heritage, uh, back in the 1700s, uh, John Wesley and his brother Charles Wesley. Uh, all three of these individuals uh, had their lives dramatically changed through an encounter uh, with this book that we call the book of Romans. Moving a little closer to our own time, let me tell you about uh, two uh, preachers that you will not know. I wouldn't think that any of you may have heard their name, but if some of you have, that would be great. Uh, These two preachers preached from the book of Romans to their respective congregations more often than they did from any other book. One of them is an American, and one of them is from Great Britain. Uh, the first, the American, is a fellow by the name of Donald Gray Barnhouse. Uh, he passed away in 1960, which was the year I entered college as a freshman. <laughs> so I'll give you an idea that he's the generation ahead of me. From 1927 till his passing, uh, he was the pastor of the historic uh, 10th Avenue Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia. And he was most famous as the best known most widely listened to radio preacher of his time, back in the days when radio preachers were common. And he began a series of sermons on Romans over the radio that he started in 1949 and continued with that series until his passing in 1960. <laughs> That's an 11 or 12 year long sermon series on the book of Romans. How would you like that from Randy? <laughs> six years down, just six more to go. <laughs> uh, the other is an Englishman by the name of Martin Lloyd-Jones. He was the uh, pastor, the preacher, of uh, Westminster Chapel in London, 
where Shirley and I have been at least on one occasion. Not Westminster Abbey. That's where uh, Charles is supposed to become king soon. And uh, I have been invited, but I have a conflict. So uh, he was a pastor of that great church, which is not too far from Buckingham Palace, from the 1930s to the 1960s. And every Friday night in his church, and I'm told it would be packed to the second gallery, uh, he had a Friday night Bible hour. And for 13 consecutive years, nonstop, he preached every Friday night a one-hour-long sermon on the book of Romans. <laughs> 372 sermons, now available in 14 volumes. Randy's on volume three. So I simply cite these illustrations to say how, how important the book of Romans has been uh, in the history of the church right up until now. In, uh, I have an NIV Bible, an NIV student Bible with me this morning, and there's a little introductory section that I was just reading before I came up uh, and we started worship. And whoever wrote that introduction uh, said, uh, we've all heard that question been asked, if you were stranded on a deserted island and uh, could have only one book with you, uh, what book would that be? And they quote some humorist, a guy by the name of G.K. Chesterton said, well, for me, it would be Thomas's Practical Guide to Shipbuilding. <laughs> so, then this introduction goes on to say, uh, for many Christians, if the question were asked, if you were stranded on a deserted island, and could have only one book of the Bible with you, uh, what book would that be? And the writers to this commentary, correctly or incorrectly said, the majority would probably say uh, Romans. So, uh, well, I would pick another book, but I'm not in the majority, apparently, so. Yet the thing that impresses me is that these studies focus primarily on either the first eight chapters of Romans or the first 11 chapters of Romans, very little on chapters 12 through 15, and hardly anything about the passage that I'm going to speak on this morning. So, and I'm not going to read it, but I'm going to read a portion of it. So what is my text for this morning? It is the last chapter, chapter 16. I may be jumping ahead of where Randy is in this series, or maybe not. But at least in the first 16 verses of uh, chapter 16, Paul is sending greetings to a number of individuals in the church at Rome. 
And he's sending them, probably from the city of Corinth in Greece. Uh, there's no postal system. He can't email or text. So he sends this letter, this important letter of Romans from Corinth in Greece to Rome. And the person with whom he sends this letter is a woman whose name is Phoebe. I thought that must be interesting. <laughs> it must have been kind of dangerous for a woman by herself uh, to travel from one country to another country carrying this letter that we now call Romans. And in the last chapter of Romans, as you'll see in just a minute, uh, Paul is saying and sending greetings to a number probably of the more leaders of the church. So let me read just a few verses for you and you'll see why I'm probably not going to read all of them because I'm not even sure I'm pronouncing the names correctly. Uh, there's no Mary, no Susie, no Tom, no Bill <laughs> in this list and not even sure who's men and who's women. Sometimes, okay. Chapter 16, verse 1. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church in Sancria, small town outside of Corinth where Paul's writing this letter. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and to give her any help she may need from you. For she has been a great help to many people, including me. And then here comes the list. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me, not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful for them. Greet also the church that meets in their house. Greet my dear friend Eponetus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junius, my relatives who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Ampliatus, whom I love in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ and my dear friend, Stachys. I think I'll just keep reading. I, I love these great names. This, I mean, this is the only time in your life you're going to hear it. So, <laughs> Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my relative. Greet those in the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa. 
I love those names. Two sisters. Almost sound like it could be some kind of a disease. You know, I could go to my doctor and say, I don't have this problem. He said, well, we've x-rayed you, Mr. Hamilton, and you could have a bad case of trifena. And if it's not, it could be trifosa. You know, uh, th these are great sister names. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother. By the way, that's my favorite character in this chapter. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mama, and his mother. She was like a mother to me. Greet Asyncretus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobas, Hermas, the brothers with them. Greet Philogus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints with them. And then here's one part that we can all identify with, finally, and greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings. And you can see why uh, preaching on that passage has not been extensive. <laughs> uh, and this is my first time in 60 years of preaching to preach from this passage. And probably the last. Now, it's uh, very interesting to me, and Pastor Randy may have already told you about this, uh, it's very interesting to me that, that Paul is writing to a church with which he himself was not involved in its establishment and its founding. Uh, so he's writing to a body of believers. We're not sure who uh, founded the church at Rome of course, in Catholic tradition, uh, it's thought to be Peter, and that means he would be the first pope in the church uh, in that particular Christian tradition. So uh, it's interesting to me that uh, Paul knows all of these people so well. He can call them by name, and yet at this stage in his life, he's never been there. As a matter of fact, uh, Randy has perhaps already pointed out to you, but in the first chapter of Romans, Paul goes out of his way to explain why he hasn't come. I mean, if this is such an important church, why are you writing this? Why don't you come, you know? Nothing, nothing beats face to face. So he says in chapter 1, verse 9, I, I pray that somehow God will make it possible for me to come to you. In verse 11, he says, I, I, I have a deep, deep longing to see you, using a word that's often used in Scripture for a feeling of homesickness. And uh, a, a little later in uh, verse 13, he says, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that for a long time I, I've been wanting to come to you, but, for, but I've been prevented I take it the reason that Paul goes into this is that people are saying, why don't you come? And he brings this up again in chapter 15, verse 23. He says, I've been longing. There's that word longing again. I've been longing to see you for many years. Verse 24, and 
when I go to Spain, I hope I'll be able to pass through Rome and see you and spend some time with you. So, uh, so there we have it. So we have 29 names in this chapter. I want to make five observations about these names and then go to the heart of my message to you this morning. Okay, so there are 29 names in Romans 16, 1 to 16. 19 of them are men. 10 of them are women. So men outnumber women in this chapter on approximately a two-to-one ratio. Observation number two. 27 of the 29 are named. The two that are not is the mother of Rufus and the sister of Nereus. Observation number three. Among these 29 are three married couples. Married couple number one, Priscilla and Aquila. You may have heard of them before. It's interesting to me that five more times this couple is mentioned, Priscilla and Aquila. And in four of the six times, she is mentioned before he is mentioned. Normally it's Mr. and Mrs. But with this couple, it's Mrs. and Mr. Four out of six times. Andronicus, Androgynous, and Junia, who are number six and seven, and Philologus and Julia, who are number 25 and 26. Comment observation number four. Sometimes Paul just gives a person's name. Greet A, B, C, D. But sometimes he makes an added comment. Four times, I won't bother telling you who they are, four times he says, greet so-and-so, my dear friend. Four times, my dear friend, my irreplaceable friend. Other times he will say, greet so-and-so, my fellow worker. Or sometimes he will say, greet so-and-so who worked so hard for you. Observation number five, which I find most interesting, and that is Paul speaks in appreciating tones of the work and ministry of seven women. But he speaks appreciatively and positively of the work and ministry of only three men. Which suggests to me, ladies and gentlemen, that while Paul greets twice as many men as he does women, 
he commends and congratulates twice as many women. I thought he'd get an amen out of that. <laughs> so there you have it. Romans chapter 16 verses, kind of a list of names that are almost impossible to pronounce. And from that, I wish to make seven applications. That's, that's how I preach. I, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, or whatever the number is. Okay, what does that mean? Nine, when, I have to be finished here soon. Okay, I, I got enough time. I'm going to pick out some of these names. Name number one. At the end of verse two, Paul says of a woman called Phoebe, with whom he's sending this letter. She, she has been a great help to many people. Then he adds these two words, including me. And from that, I ask two questions. Question number one. How many of you, not asking for a show of hands, how many of you have a Phoebe in your life? Someone about whom you could say he or she has been an incredible help to me. Question number two. Can you think of anybody to whom you have been a Phoebe? So that someone would testify this morning, you have been a great help to me. To be sure, Paul doesn't spell out how she has been, but my mind is flooding over this morning with ways in which she could have been a help to the apostle other than just simply hand-delivering this letter to the believers in Rome. Application number two. In verse four, Paul speaks to this married couple, Priscilla and Aquila, Mrs. and Mr. And he says these interesting words. They risked their lives for me. Wow. Now you need to remember. You need to remember, class. Well, not class. Um... <laughs> You need to remember that to many, many people, Paul was arch enemy number one. I mean, he was on the hit list of a lot of people. There were a lot of people that wanted to see him dead or at least severely beaten or at least permanently incarcerated and associating with him in any ways, seemed to be supporting him in any way, uh, could get you into a lot of trouble. 
And yet Paul says about Priscilla and Aquila, they risked their lives for me. Question number one. Is there anybody in your life journey who has gone that far for you? Did something unpopular, maybe hazardous or dangerous, someone putting their life on the line for you, or vice versa, as we did with observation number one? Application number three. In verse five, Paul refers to a guy called Eponetus. And he says, he was my first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. And if you have ever had the experience, the joyful incredible experience of leading someone else to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe it's just one. Maybe it's many. But you never will forget the first one. Say special greetings to Eponidas. The first person I was able to introduce to being a follower of Jesus. How's he doing? Number four. I'm going quickly. I just got seven. In verse seven, Paul mentions Andronicus and his wife, Junius. And he says in these words, they are relatives of mine, and they have been in prison with me. Let me give you a Vic Hamilton translation of that. They did time with me. You know, there are all sorts of prisons, not just the ones with bars and cells. And when you were down and out, discouraged, maybe thinking you're always swimming against the tide, did you ever have anybody just come along and do time with you? Just sit with you? Maybe when you felt defeated, or discouraged. Uh, we can all be glad this morning for those who come and spent time with us. Number five. And here's my favorite person in this chapter. In verse 13, Paul says, Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. And then this is the part that I want to emphasize. And his mother, 
And his mother, who has been a mother to me. I love that. I got underlined my Bible. Asterisks in the side. Now, we don't know anything about Paul's biological parents, do we? Don't know who his daddy was. I don't know who his, his biological mother was. Uh, he seems never to have been married. Don't know anything if he ever had any siblings. And don't really know anything. But here's the one place where, where, and he did use the word relatives earlier, but he says, greet Rufus chosen in the Lord and his mother and mine. Now, uh, do you know the expression an alpha male? Uh, just to make sure I was on the right track, I looked up in Webster's Dictionary for a dictionary definition of an alpha male. And here are some of the words that stood out. Highly intelligent, confident, successful, aggressive, dominant, and hypermasculine. I think those words may fit the Apostle Paul. But my point this morning, ladies and gentlemen, is that even an alpha male needs a mama. So I, I, I wonder what motherly things this unnamed lady did for Paul. Allow my imagination to run wild and uncontrolled. I can imagine her leaving out a pot of hot coffee and homemade chocolate chip cookies for a weary, exhausted, tired Paul. I wonder when he bumped into this woman and been through all traumatic kinds of things. She said, Paul, Paul sit down and, and, and I'll give you an ibuprofen or an Excedrin. <laughs> or one good ministry to tired males is a good back rub. I wanted to call this message this morning who would ever give the Apostle Paul a back rub? And Shirley suggested I not go there. <laughs> say hello to Rufus, but especially say hello to his mother. Because she was like a mother to me. Maybe Paul had no mother that he knew of. And uh, some of you have been uh, the privilege of being mothers and fathers uh, to those who have no mother or father. One of the most powerful illustrations I've ever heard is by one of the presidents, former presidents of Asbury College, where Randy attended and I taught for 41 years guy by the name of David Geyerson. 
He said, uh, as I think he was about 12 or 15 years old. He said, I came home one day from school and my mother had put the suitcase out on the front lawn. His father was an alcoholic. She cussed him out, said, I don't want to see you again. You'll never amount to any good. You'll be just like your old man, an alcoholic the rest of your life. And there was a Rufus's mother who took in this orphaned boy, cast out by his parents, became surrogate parents. And David came on to be the president of Asbury College, and in addition to many, many other institutions where he headed. Number six, I'm almost finished. I am impressed by the fact that even though Paul has never been to Rome, somehow he knows the names of so many people. And I want to ask you this morning, how do you feel if someone you don't know all that well, or maybe somebody you haven't seen in quite a while, especially if that person is a big shot, uh, remembers your name. Uh, that's, uh, that gives you a pretty good self-feeling, isn't it? Uh, so, so Paul in addition to all of his other gifts, has this amazing ability to be able to call people by name. Not just, hey, how are you doing? Or something like that. And finally, this passage from Romans 16 shows the importance of every person in the work of Christ and the kingdom. I can hear Paul writing to these people and saying, you are just as important, if not more important to me than I am to you. I can hear Paul saying, the work that you are doing in Rome for Christ and for the kingdom is as, as crucial and as important as any work that I am doing anywhere else. So I conclude by saying, add your name to those 28 or 29 in Romans 16. Fellow workers, spending time with, being a partner with, in the sharing of the gospel. And to God be all the glory in Jesus' name, amen.